Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clements each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes lots of other marvellous benefits and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash iron filings. Here we go Here we go Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go This is it! This is Top Flight Time Machine. I am Andy Dawson. Pa, pa, pa. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney. So what? Uh, it's the Keegan Hamburg Odyssey. We're looking through the ITV documentary from 1979. Kevin Keegan uh, was was f- p- pursued for uh, three months by Brian Moore, apparently. Hunted. Uh, cornered in his lounge by the intrepid Brian Moore uh, in 1979. And the resultant documentary might still be on ITV Hub, I think, for about another week. Because they repeated it and it went back on the hub. But you can get it on the Daily Motion website, if you know what that is. It's mm. like YouTube, but but it's uh, stuff gets kept on there that would get no- normally deleted off YouTube. Daily Motion, just do a search of Keegan Hamburg, Brian Moore. Right, anyway, uh, Kev was just about to arrive at the hotel to uh, England. An England match was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah. He'd been to Nantes, to the yeah. factory, and then he'd uh, jetted across... The, the channel to... Did you say it was Burnham Beaches where England used to... That's where they used happen, to train, didn't they, before yeah. there was St George's Park. That's right, yeah. Used to always so read that, about Burnham Beaches. The squad have assembled at Burnham Beaches. Yeah, like the Avengers. Yeah. And sometimes, and then they assembled for a while at Watford, uh, at the Grove Hotel in Hertfordshire. And then, of course, now it's St George's Park. But I used to, when you were a kid, you'd always hear of this place, Burn Beach, this mysterious place. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, there, there, there were certain places that were mentioned all the time when you read about football mm-hmm. and, and the England team. And they would, they'd seem so mysterious and captivating. Yeah. And one was Lancaster Gate. Yeah, and you'd yeah. you think, whoa, Lancaster Gate. And you, it, I would picture it like a huge castle. Obviously, I was a big Robin Hood fan. So castles were... <laughs> Castles were very much at the forefront of my mind all the time. <laughs> Castles loomed large in the Delaney mindset. <laughs> they, they really did. And I thought all the big shit in life went down in castles, <laughs> castles. right? That, that was the way I saw the world. And uh, in the adult world, I thought, like, these cunts are Lancaster Gate. These cunts are yeah. all fucking holed up in a big castle with battlements and a moat, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the fucking the bosses of football live. <laughs> and, and then they, England would, uh, you'd have to go there if you were being disciplined at Lancaster Gate to see the powers of B. And if you're in England, you had to assemble at Burnham Beaches. And of course, mm. I genuinely imagine that to be bits and beaches. 
And right. I guess I thought that, like the Brazilians, they only trained on a beach, and maybe it was with the better players. Yeah. yeah, because that's what they say still about Brazilians, don't they? They play on sand; it yeah. gives them amazing balance so and stuff. Yeah. And um, so I thought they played on beaches, but uh, no, I still haven't been to. I, I subsequently lived near Lancaster Gate, which is very disappointed. Yeah, in it's comparison, good. it's got a tube station, doesn't it? Lancaster yeah, yeah, it's, it's, on, yeah. it's on the central line. Yeah. It's just up from Notting Hill and um, Queensway. Yeah. Uh, but it's quite disappointing when you've when you've imagined, yeah. when they would refer to this place, you, you thought of it as like Castle Grayskull from Masters of mm. the Universe. You think, oh, you've been mm. summoned to Lancaster Gate, and then you see it's just a fucking horrible, grimy old road like any other in England, any other in London. Yeah. And then um, Burnham Beach is where I haven't been, but apparently it is beautiful. Producer Mark lives by there and goes walking there every day. I've I've been suggesting a, a, a we're, we're, we've been planning a meet up there during lockdown, but I still right. haven't got round to it. Apparently, Gentleman's it's gorgeous. <laughs> well, there's a there, there's a lovely playground for the kiddies and all sorts. Right. Mm. Good. And because it's such a significant part of my childhood, I, I think it's a destiny that I make a pilgrimage to Burnham Beaches. Yeah. Well, I think you should. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I used to like the fact that the 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 football league wasn't based in London; it was based in Lytham St Anne's. Oh yeah, where the fuck's that? The football league. It's near Blackpool. It's, just that, it's the posh bit. It's the posh bit south of Blackpool. No, I live in Lydon St Anne's actually, not exactly. Blackpool. It's just a few exactly. miles up the road. <laughs> exactly, it's the very well-heeled uh, appendage yeah. <laughs> underneath Blackpool. I think it might be where Les Dawson lived. Of course it was. But, he, but then he might have actually kind of lived just on the cusp between Blackpool and Lydon. He had a foot in each camp. Because <laughs> uh, why not? Um, so Kev arrives at the uh, the England Hotel, and he's talking about uh, his, his duty and responsibility towards England. And he says, "It's important to me that I don't become completely German, that I keep my English <laughs> sense of humour and not get the German one, <laughs> <laughs> which is rubbish. Yeah, which everyone knows is rubbish. They haven't got one, have they? He's uh, he can, yeah. That, is this the bit where he complains about?" About um, he never really got on with uh, what's his name Bob Paisley, did he? It's one of the reasons yeah. he left. And yeah. Bob Paisley, when he went to Germany, suggested publicly that Keegan should no longer be able to play for England. Yeah, this is and it. that fucks him he right says, off. Yeah, he says when Bob Paisley said after I left for Hamburg, I shouldn't be allowed to play for England, and neither should any player that leaves English clubs. Otherwise, English football would go down. And I <laughs> that was kind of the mentality because you're talking about seventy eight, seventy nine. It was only about seventy-eight, I think, when foreign players came into um, into English football. There was the two at Ipswich, wasn't there? And there was Arnold Ardiles and Arnold Muir and Franz Tyson at Ipswich, and there was Ardiles and Ricky Villa at Ricky Spurs, Villa. and you had like uh, a West Ham got a Belgian player, but that was a bit later. It was about nineteen eighty-one. Was that Francois van der Elst? That's him. Yeah. Hey. Remember well remembered. That. Yeah. yeah. And so everyone's like, won- but I can sort of now, if someone said it, it would just seem ignorant and xenophobic. But yeah. I guess at that time, when it wasn't a popular thing, it probably was a convincing theory, especially when you think English clubs had dominated European competition throughout the 70s. And and also, you know, the England team was a decent team, I suppose. And you think if we yeah. start losing these players, it's going to be detrimental to it. us all. Yeah, well, they were on that run. I mean, Liverpool had won the European Cup a couple of times, I think, and then Forrest won it twice. So it was in that period where we just won the European Cup of the Year. Yeah, there was English a period where... was best. Yeah, whoever won the English League would then win the European Cup. 
because Liverpool won it several times, then Forest, and then fucking Villa. Villa won it, yeah. Villa well, won the league that. in 1980, and then almost, of course, you know, it's just taking the ground. Well, now they're going to win the European Cup, which they fucking did. But then the England team at the time wasn't very good, even though it was, well, to be fair, there was a lot of Scottish players in those teams. Yeah, and they Irish. An edge. And Irish. I mean, you look at the Liverpool team that had Souness and Hansen in it. Um, and it's yeah, a, uh, Souness, Hansen, Darvish. It's astonishing that Scotland didn't do better in the late 70s and, and right through to most of the 80s as well, because they continued to have like a huge amount of the best players Dalglish, yeah. in yeah. in the English league. I mean, Dalglish was one of the best players in the world, so was Souness. Yeah. And then beyond that, they had a bunch of other, like pretty world-class players. They never had a decent keeper. That was their problem. Yeah, Alan Ruff was the keeper, wasn't he? He was a bit of a joke figure. Yeah, and then later uh, Jim Layton, who was Jim also Layton. a bit shit. But Scotland went to the World Cup in Argentina in 78, convinced they were going to win it. Because the manager, was, Ali McLeod, was bigging it up, wasn't he? As you know, I've been um, watching all the old World Cups back. And I didn't, until I watched the 78 one, it wasn't something I was hugely familiar with. Although there was a good documentary last year or the year before, wasn't there, about Ali's army. Do you remember that? I'm just looking for it now. I've yeah, I think you. Right I think you probably recommended it to me, and I watched it, and it was just a really well made documentary oh, about how he convinced everyone in Scotland that they were going to win. But I thought it was silly until I watched back that document, the the um, 78 FIFA World Cup film, and I thought, well, no wonder they thought they were going to win because mm-hmm. all of their players were the best players in the in the English First Division, mm-hmm. and they had Sunes and Dalglish and a bunch of other brilliant players. But but the crucial problem was they left Sunis on the fucking bench for the first couple of games. Yeah. And by the time they brought him back, it was too late. That documentary is still on iPlayer, right? It's called Scotland 78, A Love Story. And it's only on the iPlayer until Sunday the 19th of July. So well, we'll if you're watch it. This... One of the best bits is, because what it does is it doesn't just show Ali McLeod being mad and all the other things. It was the fact that in Scotland... Everyone, quite understandably, got wrapped up in this idea and everyone did think, yeah, we're going to win the World Cup. And there's just this Mm. beautiful bit where they're talking to this man who lives on a fucking island on the Outer Hebrides or something. Yeah. And he's arranged to get TV plumbed into the island for the (laughs) first time so they can watch it. And it's a huge fucking undertaking to get this island rigged (laughs) up in time for the World Cup. He has to do it because Scotland are going to win the World Cup. They fucking lost to someone ridiculous like Panama, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah, it's only on there for another week or so, but a few days actually. But BBC Scotland regularly repeat it, so it'll crop up again. But it's really good. Scotland 78, a love story. And that's our recommendation for you today. Uh, So yeah, Bob Paisley had said that you shouldn't be allowed to play for England because he'd gone abroad. Which was, uh, yeah. But th- there's no love lost, really, is there? Because later on, uh, Kev's talking about Bill Shankly in effusive terms, but he doesn't really give Paisley any credit at all. Not for me, Bob Paisley, no. no. no, no well, my... you know, when we did the deep dive into the book, he, he barely disguises his mm. sort of disdain for Paisley. But he's uh, that, that kind of sentiment spread throughout the England fans by the looks of it because he says after I left Liverpool first couple of times I went back to play for England some people were very cold and are very abusive and it's still interesting to know why they think like that this has <laughs> clearly got right under his skin yeah right under his skin he says there was a lynch out for me from the England squad before the Italy match a lynch <laughs> a lynch they put a lynch, lynch out <laughs> what, like you a know, lynch it's, it's like a telegram but in a negative way 
<laughs> it's a lynch. They put a lynch out for me. Um, and then he says, uh, of course, he scored in that Italy game. I think England beat Italy 2-0. I think it was just a friendly match, that. Or it might have been a Euro, Euro qualifier, but they won 2-0. And he says, uh, I scored, the team played well, and I was the hero. <laughs> <laughs> End of story, next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also voted uh, best looking and strongest in the whole squad. And this is, again, this is something we've talked about. He uh, He's... He's not shy in bigging up his achievements, but he also never forgets where he came from and all this yeah. sort of thing. Because he says, remember, a lad who was younger than me, he says, a lad who was a year younger kept me out of the Doncaster boys team. And if you told me that one day I'd go into Captain My Country, I'd have thought you were mad. I wonder if he still remembers the name of that younger boy who kept him out of the Doncaster boys team. I wonder if he keeps tracks on him, on what he's well, doing. Like he does he with is. Fred Leatherland. Like Fred Leatherland, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That young man's name is Harry Staples. And do you want to know what he does now? Well, I'll tell you. He's working, right, up the co-op, right, back in Doncaster, right? (laughs) He's miserable. He's he's, he's, he's still with his wife, but there are strong rumours that they're on the rocks (laughs) because of his drinking. So there you go. (laughs) This is just what I've heard, you know. I've not, you know, made any effort to find out, but this is just what I've heard. I don't go out of my way, but... You know, you you hear stuff on the grapevine, don't you? Hmm. <laughs> I do occasionally pay someone to sit outside his house in a parked car and watch the comings and goings. But, I mean, that's normal. I've got a few quid in the, in the bank, so that's the kind of thing I can do. He says, um, I will never... But then he, he flips it, really, because he's talking about how the crowd were um, a bit sniffy with him and there was a lynch out for him and all this. <laughs> And then uh, he says, I'll never understand why the crowd are the way they are with me. It baffles me. He says, I do something ordinary in the crowd cheer. Then someone else does something extraordinary and they don't do a damn thing about it. <laughs> oh. It's almost like they put me on a pedestal, like they just think I'm better than all of the other footballers. I don't know why. It's just the way people <laughs> react to me. <laughs> I don't understand it. But, you know, and then he says, I've always been lucky and had this relationship with the crowd. But that's the thing. That he's always done. He knows that, that what he's doing is show business. Mm. He knows it's not just being a footballer and grafting and all that. He knows that it's tits and teeth and all that sort of thing, isn't it? He's going yeah. to give them. He gives them a bit razzle dazzle. I always some people have got when, a natural instinct for that stuff, haven't they? And he's I one mean, of we them. Have. We yeah. have, don't we? we? When we're on stage, we can you know, we natural can performers hold, hold an audience in the palm of our hands. Spellbound. Spellbinding, yeah, that's what it is. I always remember Terry Butcher when he was at Sunderland. We got Terry Butcher after he'd failed as a manager at Coventry, and we mm. signed him up just on a plane, plane basis. Ah. And we had, do you remember, do you remember Malcolm Crosby? who was the manager of yeah. the FA Cup. Yeah, weird looking manager, weird hapless sort of fella, but he he got them yeah. winning, got to the FA Cup final. Well, the season after it was going badly, and Crosby had signed Terry Butcher as a player, and every time we won a match, which wasn't often. At the end of the game, Terry Butcher would go to the Fulwell end and he'd raise his arms up and get them yeah. all to cheer. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. he was he was the cheerleader of the crowd. Yeah. And I thought, I fucking know what you're doing here, you cunt. I know what you're doing. You're waiting for you Crosby wants- to go. Yeah. And you're you're getting hearts and minds. And yeah. Sure enough, Crosby went, Terry Butcher got the job. And he fucking was butcher. Yeah. yeah. Butcher. I I've always had a bit of a problem with Butch. Um Have you personally? Yeah. Uh, no, not personally. Personal dealings? But, 
No, I've not ever. I don't think I've had personal dealings with Butcher. I think I might have interviewed him on the radio, but he was right. fine. But what I mean is, is that I do think that he he very played up to that kind of lion-hearted thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A bit like Stuart Pearce. And, you know, both mm. good players. But sometimes I sort of think, is this a grift? Is this something, <laughs> to, like, if I play up the lion heart bit, mm. is that going to get me into the job that I require, mm. that I want? Is that going to be enough? And in a way, it has been. There's, there, there, you know, both in terms of players and managers, I think it might be something that's less popular now, is that if you're prepared to shout and wave your fist and make a big show mm. of it all, then mm. people think, that's the kind of lad we need. That's the kind of leader we need. Yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? That's but it really, it, it's all performance, isn't it? That's exactly it. That's what Butcher did at Sunderland. But Butcher's grift, if you like, began that night when he had the blood running down his head. Yeah. That was when he became the, the hero, wasn't it? And it all stemmed from that. He realised. Yeah. Jalapeño. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Jalapeño. At the end of uh, England versus Cameroon, when we beat mm. them 3-2 that time in 1990, there's yeah. quite a famous shot of him and Chris Waddle doing the oi oi, oh, yeah, pumping yeah. their fists yeah. in the air. Yeah, yeah. In a way that was, it was, I mean, uh, sorry listeners if you can't, if you're unfamiliar with the gesture I'm talking about, but it's where you sort of hold your fists out either side of them <laughs> and pump them alternately. Yeah, yeah. Now, at the time, that was a very fashionable thing to do. It was quite a new invention by the lad community, wasn't it? The lad community, yeah. <laughs> it it was. was. Yeah. It was just something that people did around that time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a that was a similar thing to what he did when he was at Sunderland when we won. It was that kind of thing. It was just getting the crowd wound up and excited. And I thought, oh, yeah, I fucking see what you're doing here, you fucking cunt. And uh, yeah, it all went wrong. But yeah, yeah Kev, Kev Kev's the same. Kev knows that that's part of the gig, isn't it? To you know, uh, interact with the fans and everything. And that that gets mentioned again later on. Um, I t- I yeah, think- then he took God. No, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All very good. It just no, none of it matters, ultimately. <laughs> oh, but anyway, fuck. That's, yeah. that's it for this episode. <laughs> we just realised this is all futile. Uh, thanks for everything. We finished. What now. is life? I think oh, I might God. start smoking. <laughs> I think I might go out and get myself a packet of John Player specials. <laughs> yeah. So then he's talking about um, again. He's talking about this relationship he's got with the the England crowd and his all love for the England thing. And he talks about his Scotland goal. 
and he says he's got he's got against Scotland in seventy seven, I think. He says uh, people were raving, but I thought it was one of the most simple goals I've ever scored. And then you see the footage of the goal and he picks the ball up on the halfway line and he just runs right through the Scottish defence, plays a one-two with someone, gets it yeah. back, sticks it in the back of the net. It's a brilliant goal. It's a fucking brilliant goal, yeah. yeah. It's magnificent. And he's like, oh, I thought it was one of the most simple goals I've ever scored. It was fucking piss. easy. People look at that and people will say, Kev, <laughs> that was a brilliant goal. It's one of the best goals I've seen. And I don't get it because to me, it was a piece of piss. <laughs> a baby could have scored it. I've I seen babies score better goals. <laughs> you know those baby walkers, the things with the wheels on, you put them in them and they sit in them and they run around. <laughs> hey, baby, get a baby, score a goal with one of them. No problem. They'll want you off another baby. Back it's of the a, net, it, past the baby it's keeper. A classic, it's a classic Keegan goal though, isn't it? Because it's like a, he's like a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. He almost yeah. wills the ball into the it's net. tenacity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's just fucking, he's like a whirling dervish. <laughs> He just gets it, gives it, and then just fucking rampages towards the goal and finishes. It's he beautiful. He is, as always, an electric mouse. Mm. Uh, the next scene is back in Germany at the Keegan Garden. Uh, and he's playing football in the garden with his dogs. Not with the babies, but with the dogs. Yeah. You remember this bit? And he, he gets his dog to sit. He gets it to sit down. He's got two sit. old English sheepdogs called Ollie and Heidi. He gets one of them to sit, and then he tosses a coin in the air and shouts, heads! (laughs) He's doing a coin toss before a game of football with his dogs in the garden. Funny thing about these dogs is they always lose the coin toss. And that, I think, gives me a psychological edge over them right from the kickoff. They're they're, they're lovely dogs, and they've got great pace. I can't take that away from them. But uh, their in-game management's poor, and I think psychologically they're much weaker than me. <laughs> sometimes playing against two of them. Sometimes the, the night before I play them, they don't know because they're dogs, but I know that I'm going to play them the next day. And what I'll do night. is after Jean's gone to bed, I'll sit with a cup of tea at, in front of the fire and I will just stare at them unblinking. And they won't know why I'm doing it, but it will intimidate <laughs> them and make them disturbed before they, before they go to bed. And that means that the next day they've had a restless, a fitful sleep. And next day when I take them on in the garden, you know, they're not in the best shape. To, and, and that's why I always beat the dogs. It's fine margins, isn't it? Because <laughs> he does this. He tosses this coin. I thought it was just tossing a dog treat up for the dog to catch. I thought it was part of the whole routine. But no, he tosses what must be a coin and he shouts heads. And then the, him and the dog run off and they start playing football in the garden. And then he says... Uh, it might sound daft, but if we hadn't had these dogs with us over the past two or three years, I think we might have cracked up too. <laughs> who, who else has cracked up that he's referring to? I don't know what that's about. Cut the bit but, out um, where I've talked about Ron Greenwood cracking up, right? Yeah. Because that might jeopardise my England chances. Because he, the, he hasn't yet. I just think he will do. But, but did, and, uh, the, you did the, the bit with the training. Well, sorry, we'll finish about the dogs and the, play, and the role they play in his and Gene's mental health. But I want to go back to the England training because uh, Ron Greenwood coaching the England team is very funny. But, yeah, he says that the dogs basically saved their sanity. Yeah. Yeah. But then we get the the bombshell that uh, Heidi has had eight pups. <laughs> oh, it's a fucking disaster. So there's, yeah. He says, Heidi let us down badly. She knew we were moving out, and despite that, she conceived. 
<laughs> so Ollie and Heidi are obviously a married couple, the dogs. Well, I don't know how she conceived. Because I don't know how it happens in the dog world. I mean, I've, I'm still not quite sure how Jean conceived. I know we had a cuddle <laughs> one night, and after that, she started to put on weight. And next thing we know, we had our little one. And Jean's, and Jean's tried to explain it to me several times, but to be honest, it sounds strange to me. Uh, I don't know if it's the same in a dog world. I don't know if, me, if Heidi and Ollie can cuddle or not. Me and Jean had a cuddle, and it, at one point it turned into what felt like a bit like a fight. And then I was sweating a lot, and then it was over, and then I felt really sad. <laughs> but, uh, then she started putting her weight, and then Laura Jane come along. <laughs> and that were that. Um, and Heidi's found herself in a similar predicament, but they must have had an extra long cuddle, because rather than just having one baby, they had about six of the bastards. <laughs> now, Jean thought we should go and drown them, you know. Uh, but... Because <laughs> we couldn't afford the meat, even on my wages. Like I couldn't bring myself to do it when push came to shove. <laughs> so if they hadn't had the dogs, they would have cracked up, but now they've got 10 other cunts. Yeah. So I don't know if, if that just isn't going to so be... So we feel I mean, saner than ever. Exactly. Yeah, more dogs, more sanity. That's our family <laughs> motto. I mean, it's like, it's not as if they're just, you know, chihuahuas or shih tzus or... They're fucking huge. They're fucking massive. They're like cows. They're like the Dulux dog, aren't they? They're the Dulux dog, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they are. You don't see many of those Dulux dogs around anymore. In the 80s, they were really big, weren't they? 70s and 80s. I wonder if they were um, extinct. Well, Maybe people start <laughs> eating them whole like them birds. <laughs> Cooking them in in Armagnac. Yeah. Oh, you'd need a big fucking <laughs> bowl of Armagnac to boil one of them in. No, I With mean... With a tail on your head. It is a shame that... Dogs, certain breeds of dog are fashionable. To me, that's, I mean, I've never owned, owned a, uh, a pedigree dog and I don't think I'd ever want to. And one of the reasons is, is I think it's fucking weird how certain breeds come in and out of fashion. So if you look at the 70s, right, the Dulux mm-hmm. dog was big. Yeah. Uh, the, the Afghan the hound. The, the Afghan Bernard, hound. As we mentioned the other day. The St. Yeah. Bernard, the Afghan hound. The big dogs. Uh, the the lassie what's the lassie dog called? I always forget. Oh, border collie. I think it's that border collie. Um, but yeah, the very sort of elegant type because I think li- some border the, collies the are black the and the white. Horbo. What kind of dog was the littlest? Horbo? Was that a he wolf? was a bit like an Alsatian, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a wolf then. And uh, you know, in uh, Champion the Wonder Horse, um, there's a horse. No, I uh, yeah, there was a horse, but okay. Ricky. The kid who was who owned the horse, I think. I think he was yeah. his owner. He certainly spent a lot of time with the cunt. And uh, he also had a dog called Rebel. Now, right, I yeah. really fucking envied this kid, Ricky. First mm-hmm. of all, because I remember thinking that Ricky was like the coolest name you could have, right? Yeah. He <laughs> had a fuck. He owned a wonder horse that could always yeah, get just man- a- it was just a regular and, horse. It was a wonder horse. Yeah. And then he also had a fucking dog that was a wonder dog, but kind of lived in the shadows of the wonder horse in a way. Yeah. But it, it was called Rebel. And I thought, what a great name for a dog. Rebel. A, Hi, I'm Ricky. This is my horse, Champion. And this is my <laughs> fucking dog, Rebel. I mean, all the girls would have wanted to get off with Ricky, wouldn't they? I fucking, man, I really hero worshipped him. Didn't didn't Rebel, Rebel's name appear in the credits in the opening opening. 
titles of it. What, and, and Rebel as himself? And, and Rebel the dog or something like that. It, did. <laughs> it was a brilliant fucking... on the screen. It's an yeah. all-time classic theme tune, mate. Champion, a time the will wonder come. The horse. Champion, the wonder horse. Mm-hmm. But it was a bit like an Elvis Presley number. That was uh, that was school summer holidays, wasn't it? Every morning. Fucking great, yeah. I'm champion the wonder horse. To encourage you to get out of bed. Um, I tell you Google who call that. his dog Rebel. Yeah. You know who call his dog Rebel, don't you? Fucking Johnny Depp. Ah, this is Rebel. Rebel. You know what I give him in the morning? A saucer of JD. That's what I call Jack Daniels. I call it JD because I'm such a cool guy. time. Sometimes I haven't got time to say Jack Daniels, so I just say JD. And all the cool dudes that I hang around with know what I mean anyway because they all love JD as much as I do. That's what Johnny Depp's all about. JD, Johnny Depp, JD, Jack Daniels. Johnny (laughs) Depp's all about being cool and saving time. Then it's cool to call his letters in the American alphabet. Think about it. Johnny Depp, James Dean, Jack Daniels. Woo. All the Carl shit starts with JD. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, fuck off, Depp. Um, so where are we? Uh, so, yeah, he says, he talks about the dogs. Uh, Heidi, Heidi let us down badly by conceiving. He says, I'm away so much that I don't have the contact. They're not as important to me as they are to Gene. He's, just, he's like, I fuck off a lot. And Jane has all. Jane has ten dogs to look after and a baby, and I just fuck off a lot. Yeah, she says a few <laughs> things about that, doesn't she? Like, I don't mm. mind, but he does just disappear, and I basically have to raise the children on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get to that in a bit. But then he says he, he tries to kind of I don't know justify the dogs being there a bit. He kind of he says, uh, Ollie's he's like the man of the house when I'm not there. And uh, and and Heidi's like the wife. It's like having a man and a woman in the house. And then he says, "This is good." He says, "They're substitutes for people." And, and I have to say that they're sometimes better substitutes than the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> a dog will never lie to you. A dog will never cheat on you. A dog um, will never will never pick a younger kid than you for the first team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I say I something say else about dogs. People. A dog, a dog will never die. Did you know that, Brian Moore? Dogs are immortal. That's right. Are you sure about that, Kevin? Gene told me. Didn't you, Gene? When I got upset that time, because I thought, I started thinking about how they might die, and Gene told me, no, they're dogs. They're not like humans. They don't die. And that's what's brilliant. So I know they'll never break my heart. Of course, they'll probably be sad when when me and Gene dies, or at least when Gene does, because I don't, I I honestly don't expect to die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He says... And then there's a bit where Ollie the dog is sitting on him in this in the living room. Kev's still slouched on his sofa where he has been for the whole show. And Ollie the dog is now sitting on him. And uh, Kev says, he understands everything I say, you know. If I were to say Ollie out, he'd go out. And the cunt does. The dog mm. gets down off him and goes off. And then Kev goes, uh, and wash the pots on your way. <laughs> you <laughs> know what? cut he... the footage of Ollie washing the pots in the kitchen. <laughs> if he dog, wanted to... If he wanted to, he could have easily had a show just about him and his dogs in the 70s. Yeah. Because if you think about it, every mainstream TV show featured a human with a dog at that era yeah. anyway. And so he could have easily got it made because he was the biggest star in, in the country. Kevin Keegan could have approached any TV channel with any fucking idea and it would have got commissioned in the late 70s. Yeah. 
Yeah. You get a hit single because, you know, he fancied it. That's what happened. So um, there's no stopping the fucker. Um, we'll leave it there because we're about to get to the bit where Gene speaks at length, which is quite interesting. So we'll we'll go into that in the next one. And uh, and Kev also does some revelations as well towards the end of the documentary, which are quite uh, candid and surprising. But uh, <laughs> that's all to come. So thank you very much for listening to this one. We'll be back with more next week. Don't forget, Scotland 78 on the iPlayer. Uh, if it's still on there, it's very well worth watching. You got anything else to add, Sam? You look like you're going to say something like that. TTFN, look after yourselves, won't you? Get alive. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.